Now remember, when you get to Mount Peg Towers, it's the podcast studio on the ninth floor. Dr. Velvet has the daily swears, Blackout is What Booze Weekly, and Producer Ken's is the Factually Questionable Gazette. Now it's very important you get them there early. What about Ozzy Bognop? Not for him. He's stuck in the lift. So it's still broken? Eft. Can I have a bag of pickled eggs on me wages? Oh, I wouldn't if I were you. Oh, why not? If pod producer Ken smells them on you, it'd be like sitting on a razor blade. What? Sorry, wrong advert. I like a canny bag of Ken's eggs, though. They're worth pegging a mound for. You know, for a disclaimer device, you're just making things worse. Coming up on tonight's hyperspace hyperbole. The main point that leapt from the page for me here mm. was the fact that the word disturb is spelt with an E in one of the panels. And all I could picture was you smashing your face into the bathroom sink after reading that. As to Chewbacca looking like a hammer werewolf in drag, but yes. Don't get me started on that, because that's just neither out or something, that. I could draw... I could draw a better Chewbacca with me arse. <laughs> I know how that's happened. That's literally just the R is missing off... Uh, the leg is missing off the R to make it into Be- a P. Beware but, yeah, the M-pipe. But, but, but the fact is, yes, this got through the publishing and proofreading process. This got through Paul Neary's editing. He went there, he got to the final panel, and even by then his brain was so fried, he went, Oh, the Galactic Empire! Exit! Stage left! All right, hello and welcome to the second episode of the Peggy Mount Periodical Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here to look at literary leaflets from days gone by, when your favourite childhood reading matter from the newsagents was to be found next to the candy cigarettes and to the left of some canny bags of Tudor. Yes, hello to you. Thank you for dropping us our laid-back look at some pamphlets of the past, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, Peggy's always peeping round the page. If you leaf over to PeggyManPod.com, info and links for the particular issue we're discussing is in the show notes there. You should have downloaded this by now. Uh, and you can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or ask us why we think we're too good for Escape magazine. So before we land on a planet of dead robots, a planet of skulls, or a planet of decommissioned toilets, and try to work out exactly how much of this we're hallucinating, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask what are you drinking do you know what the lilt man has been i thought he i thought he'd been stopped no that not is, yet. that is this is good news he's just doing his last round but guess what though not just he's been round but so has his mate the malibu lady nice so what better than to combine the two i'll tell you what's better detol because this is insipid <laughs> anyway you get some of that rum in it that'll perk it up it'll be fine um, well maybe I've got a bottle of mm. the Knights by the Canterbury Hills Brewery in Kent. Oh, are we still on? Are we still on a quest? We are. Yes, we are indeed. Yes, the Knights. The Knights. The jousting type of knights, or the when it gets dark after six o'clock knights. Well, as we're going to find out, the glowy sword knights. And well, we might. For so, onto this week's pile of pleasure-inducing pages, and a long time ago. 
a publishing house brought out a seasonal offering that was far, far away from anything else on the shelves at that time. The Star Wars Summer Special was an anthology from Marvel UK published in May 1983. Using the often liberal approach to character likenesses of the time, this follows our central heroes and the galaxy far, far away in a quartet of adventures which take place away from the silver screen. Although this was the month the Jedi made his triumphant return in cinemas, all of these were reprinted from the recent Empire Strikes Back comic and come from Doctor Who and 2000 AD writers such as Alan Moore, hence a darker tone to the proceedings. Adding more to the off-kilter strangeness, these stories were exclusive to the UK readership. Three of the entries weren't printed in the US until Dark Horse's Devil Worlds trade paperbacks in 1996, and the last one didn't see light again until the Wild Space Omnibus in 2013, making this a most bizarre vintage flight of fancy for formative minds. So, first off, did mm -hmm. you read this issue back in the day? I did not. Ah, okay. I remember buying the first issue of Star Wars Weekly back in 1978. Yes. It's worth about 200 bar now, that. Uh, but, I mean, I was five, so it was bought for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd, I'd seen the film by then. Um, but my investment into Star Wars Weekly lasted about five weeks, and then I kind of tailed off. The artwork bothered me. We'll get, we'll get on to that. We will, but, we will, yeah. But, but um, it yeah, it it wasn't quite what I expected. However, five weeks into that, yeah, fine. And then a year later, up pops Doctor Who Weekly, and so it was a case of Star Wars Who. This is completely understandable. I get this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what happened there. What about you? Did you? I mean, you you must have bought this. I did. Yes, I remember vividly getting this while I was staying over at my grandparents. So, mm -hmm. picture the scene, late spring, early summer, Sunday afternoon, I'm out with my granddad, we're at the village cricket ground. So we've got the excited murmur of a, a small crowd, the gentle thwack of leather on willow. Basically, there's sport going on, and I'm a nine-year-old boy trying to distract myself with Star Wars, but I'm getting freaked the fuck out by my favourite hero being trapped on a planet full of skulls. I can't describe my childhood any more succinctly than that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> well, what was the noise of the uh, wood on Willow? Thwack. I'm annoyed that it wasn't Thrasser. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, based they on were, last week's... They weren't hitting it that hard. Right, fair, fair. So, right... Let's just take a look at this. The Star Wars Summer Special, 1983. That cover's not much, is it? I mean, were the staff... <laughs> were the staff from, from graphics off that week? So the lads from maintenance were asked to pull the cover together using Microsoft clip art and a colour photocopier. When you bear in mind the actual proper artwork, which used to be on the front of the comic every week, this is a couple of photos from the film, which isn't even the one that's currently coming out. This was put together on a Friday afternoon, definitely. Bland's not the word. And the word in. I I'll draw your attention to the best of British comic strip. Yeah. What, is what does that even mean? That it, yeah, it's grammatically awkward. What's going on here? <laughs> it is an indicator, basically, that you are, you know, this is like, this is Marvel UK now. 
This isn't the ported over American thing where they take one issue of the American comic and make it three for the UK, which is why it took about like six months to tell the story of Star Wars back in the comics. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you know, fair play. We're getting, we're getting into the whole stories. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. We are, we are. I mean, quite rightly what you're saying, essentially we have a bunch of stories from what was then termed Empire Strikes Back magazine. Yes. Collated to be a special. This is a greatest hits, if you like. Kind of. I mean, greatest would be stretching it, but kind of, yeah. Well, well, all right, well, you've got the hits. Essentially, This this is hits. It's hits. If you're a fan... It put you know use the analogy with music. If you're a fan and you've got the singles, you're going to buy the greatest hits, aren't you? Just to mm-hmm. just to make the, the collection absolutely. Don't complete. get me wrong. When I got this, there were stories in here at the time which I didn't remember. So clearly, I wasn't getting all of the Empire Strikes Back ones the way I thought I was. Um, oh, that's fine. But some people were. So yeah, this yeah, yeah, is, no, this, is, this is a series of repeats. But I didn't. I mean, that in itself, that was like a Marvel thing. They do that all the time, anyway. I remember when Transformers and Secret Wars came out, about two months in, they did like a special issue with like, sort of like a A4 size with a card like cover, and they just mm. called it Collected Comics, and it's just issues one to four printed again. And you're like, well, you're mm. fleecing it a bit, but fine, yep. you know, whatever. Um, it was not unknown for them to recycle material like that, that's fine. And I wasn't mm-hmm. disappointed by this back in the day, I was just freaked out. Yeah, well, I'll get onto that later a bit. Anyway, um... You can see how focused the editor is on the Brandon because the first advert, as we open the page, is for Doctor Who. But there we are. Um, <laughs> it's, no. it's, it's, it's for yeah, Doctor Who publication to, to advertise or to help celebrate the 20th anniversary of Doctor Who. Mind, this is the thing. That feel, it feels slightly unsettling to read that they've proudly produced the Doctor Who technical manual mm. for the 20th anniversary of the show as we are here now, hurtling towards the 60th. I know, right? And you're like, am I that old? Yes, I am, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, to be honest, when I did have a double take in it, I did soil myself. <laughs> it's not good. Right. It's not good. Here's what really caught my attention. Mm. The Doctor Who technical manual yep. is priced here in this advertisement for mm-hmm. £4.95 plus 95p postage and packing. Yep. So you're paying the thick end of six quid for this, right? Yep. Keep in mind that the normal Empire Strikes Back comic was 40p. This special that we're holding now was 60p. Mm. And a pint around this time was 67p. So, here we go. It's been a while. How much does the £5.90... Play the song, Ken. (laughs) How much does the £5.90 you'd pay for the Doctor Who technical manual translate to in our very own day and age? Is it a £13.70... B, £16.30, or C, £18.50? Hmm, here we go. What do we think? straight off. Math straight off. Yeah. Um, Answer number two. £16.30? Uh-huh. I'm afraid not. I'm I'm afraid if you were to... If this had been scaled up... It's going to be the last one, isn't it? It's going to be the last one. It is. £18.57 new pence. This this manual, it's only 64 pages for fuck's sake. What's it printed on? Unicorn vellum? Right. Well, to be <laughs> fair, to be fair, Doctor Who magazine now is about seven bar. Out of interest, I have a look on eBay for the Doctor Who technical manual. Prices yeah, yeah. of a vintage 1983 copy of this, right? Range yep, from pound. seven range from seven pounds 
1699 that's within the UK that's you know if you're just buying it in the UK getting it posted within the, in the UK you're not going to pay more than 17 quid for this even the most expensive example of this is cheaper than it was brand new there you are that probably says more about the state of inflation than the quality of the product to be fair but you know <laughs> it, it, it says more about the state of the brand if you ask me but, but yeah okay okay hmm all right, we flick over the page and we get to our contents. We're, we're getting ready for Star Wars liftoff here. It is, it's liftoff. It's, it's liftoff. In the, in, the, in, the, in the LCD typeface, very specific. Uh, well, I, you know, a double take, a brief double take, and you think it's your calculator watch that's telling you this. Uh-huh. But um, we look at that and, oh, what a, what a menu of delight is, is coming our way. I'm excited. <laughs> Welcome to the Star Wars Summer Special 83. Not 1983, mm. 83. We're relaxed. Mm. We bring you some of the best stories and artwork from past issues, not to mention the great colour poster. So sit back, read and enjoy. This is definitely Friday afternoon. This is Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're right. I think all the staff had gone home and they suddenly realised there was a thing coming out on Monday. So someone had better type it up. Uh and then they list the stories. Well, I I'm not I'm not gonna read them out because I'm not gonna give any spoilers of what's coming up. So I've read the through the menu page and I'm getting ready for the first story, which is entitled Flight of the Falcon. Yes, this is a five-page story. This is written by Steve Parkhouse, who worked on Doctor Who in 2008. Uh, the artwork is by John Stokes, who worked on Buster Comic as well as House of Hammer. This one first appeared in Empire Strikes Back comic 157 in May 1982. So, the Millennium Astro Engineering Plant on planet Tharkos, it's sounding very Star Wars, isn't it? It's creating a series of ships to outfly the smugglers in the rebellion that the Empire is trying to crack down on. Not because they're authoritarian or anything, just because there's money in it, you know. So a certain wisecracking pilot gets wind of a new prototype, nicknamed the Falcon. He intercepts an Imperial test flight group to steal it. That's your story. So this takes place well before Star Wars. This is basically Han getting the Falcon. Yeah. The Empire are not suited. They're not suited <laughs> at all. Because their their outdated equipment and transport is is no match for the gear that the smugglers have got. So, you know what? Yeah. A change is needed. Mm-hmm. And cue what is essentially a home demo at a sales conference. And yeah. we get a glimpse of a certain Zoltan Starbuck. They, I've, I've got issues with this. Well, I'm going to say this first of all before you start. <laughs> what, a fuck, what a fucking name. That's what I mean. He's introduced to Zoltan Starbuck. He's on the planet Tharkos. And you're like, has, has Steve Parkhouse, has he seen Star Wars? Yep, 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 yep. Is he just like read a couple of issues of Book Rogers and not? I can do that. You know, I'm a way to Deadpool, me to change my name <laughs> to, to Zoltan Starbuck. The problem I've got is that on page five, he is specifically introduced as, and we quote, Zoltan Starbuck. Correct. They even write his name. They even write his name in bold, so it yes. does, so that we know it's a name. Comic convention. Fine with that. Then yep. on pages six, seven, and eight. He's referred to by other characters and by the panel captions as Starkid. Yes. Who the fuck's in charge here? Uh, yep. Whom is this new character? Whom? Whom? <laughs> this, this is one of the one of the strips in here where no one is credited as being an editor, and that feels about right. And yes, yes. <laughs> it w- it, if anyone had been, it would have been Betty, the tea lady, who just happened to pass by the studio at that time. There is also a bit, this is more layout than art, but there is also a bit on page seven 
where we got a frame of Starbucks, Starkid, whatever his name is today. They're waiting the arrival of the test pilot. And one of the speech bubbles that should be coming from one of the other staff members is coming out of him. But he uses his own name, so it looks like he's talking about him. He looks like he's talking to himself in the third person. This is fucking mental. That's the last panel on that page, isn't it? I'm completely (laughs) confused by this. You're like, what the fuck is going on? How the... Yes. What? Oh, man. If you're eight-year-old reading this, you're clueless. (laughs) We also, while we're laying into it, uh, we also meet a secretary from the engineering plant who acts as an informant. secretary, that's right, yes. Yes. She acts as an informant to the smuggler. Mm. Um, This is how Star Wars here we are. She literally wears glasses at her desk during the day and a skin-tight black jumpsuit at night while she's prowling around the cantinas. Considering she's got a fairly vital role in the story, the character doesn't even get a name. Instead, she's referred to an uptown, uptempo woman. <laughs> this, this, this blew my mind. This Han Solo calls her baby. I mean, that feels that's kind of on brand for Solo. Okay, uh, and then at one point in this cantina, there's one particular lizard patron who says, "And I quote, woof, get a load of that.'" I, uh, do you know what? I actually missed that. I, I think I was, so, I think I was so blown away. I remember when I read Uptown Uptempo Woman, I threw, I threw the the Kindle across the room. But um, no, this is this is nuts. This. Most importantly, though, right? Han Solo. We know it's Han Solo because of the clothes he's wearing. Do we? Yeah. <laughs> it's called Flight of the Falcon. It's about mm. the Millennium Plant making a ship called the Falcon and a guy turns up wearing Han Solo's clothes. But you can't see his face because he's wearing a mask. Well, that's right. What I want to know is, why does he look like Death Wish from the Tiger comics? That, yes, they are. PeggyMountPod.com, into the show notes, have a gander at that. It's mental. In and of itself, I don't mind the art style. The art itself is like, it's very reminiscent of the daily newspaper strips which were being done in America at the time, where you get, yeah, like yeah. again, a storyline serialised over months for the most part this entire comic is presented as black and white line art since that's just easier to reproduce not a a scrap of (laughs) colour there's a little bit of half toning going on but it's not reliant on that for depth so the artwork the artwork basically works if you just run it through a copier you get the idea this is how this was produced (laughs) pen and ink I mean you know let's keep it let's keep it real here Um, Han Solo grasses on Zoltan Starbuck slash Starkid to the rebellion mind uh-huh. And they promptly seek him out and wipe his factory from the face of the fucking planet. Yeah, basically, he steals the ship. And then, for whatever reason, a bunch of X-Wings come in, blow the fuck out of the entire factory, mm-hmm. rather than stealing more of their stuff, stealing their research, using them. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's weirder is it appears that Han Solo is working with the Rebels here. But it also uh-huh. appears that yeah. Han Solo does not yet have the Millennium Falcon here. So where does yeah. the story take place? <laughs> uh, this is what I was wondering. Um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a valid point. Rather than the rebellion thinking, well, actually, hang on, hang fire, hang fire. We could use this tech. We, we need this information here. This would be marvellous, this. You know, Let's rather, hang fire with the bombs. Rather than stealing one ship and letting him keep it. Right. I don't really see what the rebels are getting out of this other than you know, they're kind of destroying... They're not even. Oh, no, they're not even like the enemy. They're literally just mercenaries making money out of the war. I mean, so is everyone in Star Wars. That's you know, that's what it is. Yeah, well, yeah. There we yeah, are. Yeah. Anyway, uh-huh. uh, your final frame is Zoltan Starkid staring in horror at the remains of his factory complex, 
as his own words echo in the numb space that was his mind. And he's, he's terrified he's about to get the ship blown out. That's where we leave yeah, it. Yeah, that's nice. where we leave it. And so on to the next story. <sighs> we don't get time to breathe. We're straight in. Not an advert. No adverts here. Straight into the next story. Entitled, Rust Never Sleeps. <laughs> Okay, now this is another five-pager. This one's written by Alan Moore from Out of Watchmen and V for Vendetta. Uh, and the art is by Alan Davis, who again worked on 2000 AD and on Captain Britain for Marvel. This one first appeared in Empire Strikes Back comic 156 in May of the previous year. Now we've got a freight hauler gliding over the trashed planet of Ronyards, where it empties its hold of broken and disused droids. You see them clattering on at the surface. Among them are R2-D2 and C-3PO. Far from being ready for the scrap heap, they're up and about. As they wander around their new world, they meet this ecclesiastical Brother Five Lines, he's called, and they learn of a monastic sect he's built on the planet from damaged and resurrected robots. He tries to recruit R2 and 3PO to his cause, but the Empire are about to arrive and mine the planet for metal deposits, including everyone who's living there peacefully. What's going to happen? I'll tell you what. The intro, in all of its philosophically teasing tone, couldn't be more Alan Moore if it tried. Yeah, no, yeah. (laughs) It is oddly sort of... Intriguing, and again, also not Star Wars. Bless him. Right? <laughs> but but you know what? It's a refreshing little twist. It is, yeah. All credit to the man. When he gets to actually writing three PO's dialogue, yeah, he's doing it fine. He understands how the character sounds. You know, I'm I'm fine with that. Can I just quote something? Okay, go on. Prove me wrong. Zloot, greep, da da dit were beautiful words from R two D two there. So he's got that nailed down. You know what, if he did it in his accent, it sounded a lot more convincing, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the comparison here we've got is between man and machine, and it gives me the screaming crubles to think of what might happen next in this story. Well, anyway, here, well, yes. here we are in a droid graveyard, and of course it is, as you say, R2 and 3PO who take <laughs> us on this little adventure. The main point that leapt from the page for me here mm. was the fact that the word disturb is spelt with an E in one of the panels. And all I could picture was you smashing your face into the bathroom sink after reading that. <laughs> Oddly, I didn't find it as offensive as the last comic, so there we go, you know. Right. <laughs> Actually having sort of speech bubbles pointing the wrong way, getting someone's name wrong. It's hand-lettered, whatever, you know. It was, um, incidentally, the letterer is credited. That was Jenny O'Connor. Jenny, if you're listening, sort it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ex- yep. Expect better. That's all I'm saying, you know. Yep. We've paid 60 pence. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot... There's less to do in this one in terms of actual narrative. As you say, it's a bit more sort of philosophical. So five pages should be enough to clearly convey what there is, right? Mm. Uh, mm. So, so we get this, like, drawn-out setup. And then Alan Moore just wraps it up on the final page without really explaining what's happened. He's assumed, I think, that the artist will fill in the page with visual exposition. He just goes, oh, it was an act of God. All wiped out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There seems to be some sort of earthquake and magnetic storm combined. It's not really clear. There's zero explanation of how our heroes, A, got to be on the junkyard planet. Absolutely none of how they get away from it. I mean, they're on a secret mission. Well, it, it, again, it seems kind of typical of the Marvel strips of the time, where they just go, ah, oh, it's between the films. And yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, right, okay. 
Um, <laughs> don't forget, this is also how we got the droids cartoon, so that's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get the impression, you know, the planet is in fact alive. That's what I'm getting. It's entirely possible. You'd think that the that would be more clearly be- alluded to within five yeah. entire pages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Th- there's a number of layers working around. What I am impressed with is um, the giant robot figure. I can't remember uh-huh. the name. Brother Brother Five Lines. That, Brother that's a, Five Lines. That is a disco name, if ever there was one. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Well, well, it might be, because Dead Ringer for Tweaky from Buck Rogers in the 25th Century... Boom, there we go. And, well, in terms of facially... Get yourself under the show notes, have a look, it's all there. Height-wise, reminded me of the part that Francis de la Tour played in the Harry Potter films. <laughs> so hence my nickname for this character is Francis de la Twiggy. It has to be. I do, I do think if you read all of Brother Five Lines' dialogue with Francis de la Tour's voice... <laughs> yeah, right. It, it adds a fantastic edge to this particular comic strip. <laughs> Yeah. Well, especially when um, he calls 3PO Mr. Rigsby, but never mind. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. But you know what? Ultimately, R2, 3PO and the Stormtroopers pretty much look like they're supposed to, so I'm fine with it. Good, good. Bearing in mind, bearing in mind how loose we can get in the Marvel days, this is relatively on target. I don't mind it at all. The Stormtroopers are looking fine. That's Yeah, that's decent. Yeah, they are. Yeah, to be fair. Well, that wraps up the fact that Russ never sleeps. Um, the readership almost did. Didn't it? Uh, <laughs> maybe they need to be induced by something known as the Pandora effect. Right, 15 pages now. Now, we, now we're getting into it. This is Alan Moore again. Uh, the art is by Adolfo Buila. Uh, Jenny O'Connor's doing the letters again, so I'll be looking out for the spelling errors, but the editor of this is Paul Neary, so he should be keeping that in check. This is this has actually been edited. Someone's put their name on it. Right. This story first appeared in Empire Strikes Back comic 150 and 151. This was serialised back in November 1981. So, escorting Princess Leia to a conference, Han and Chewie stop off by Atahox to conduct little business on the side when they're drawn through the triangular hell hoop finding themselves at the mercy of trans-dimensional cult, The Five. Again, this is quite disco, isn't it? The Five. Not as disco as uh, Han's beautiful white boots. Yep. Well, wellies, yes. What's going on here? (laughs) If indeed that is Han. Because I'm telling you now, if that's Harrison Ford, then I'm Joan Hickson. Again, it's the clothes. You recognise the characters by the clothes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they're both wearing their clothes from Star Wars, not even from The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. They're wearing their clothes from the first Star Wars film. So you know who's Han, you know who's Leia because of hair and wardrobe. That's fine. Yep. Yeah. I'm not sure about um, Leia calling him Mr. Solo either. I just get wafts of the man from Uncle here. It does feel a little bit out of character. Totally. Uh, as does Chewbacca looking like a hammer werewolf in drag, but yes. Don't get me started on that because that's just <laughs> neither now or something that. I could draw I could draw a better Chewbacca with me arse. <laughs> That's horrendous, that. The art style generally is perfectly workable as a comic. It just feels like some kind of medieval fantasy crossover. Uh-huh. When, when we meet the five, 
this weird sort of cult. One of them's literally got a magic wand. Yes. It, it feels but, like this comic was filmed in Anak Castle. In Anak Castle with a, a, another cast. Do you remember on the Dukes of Hazard where Tom Warpat and John Schneider left and um, they were they were in the middle of a season and they were like the producers were like fuck what are we gonna do and they brought in their cousins who were like lookalikes and were just pale imitations of their that's who we've got playing the Han Solo and the there Chewbacca we... and the Leia here that's what's happening <laughs> there we go Ban Solo <laughs> yeah in case and by the way story wise in terms of Star Wars canon in case we were any in any sort of doubt as to when this takes place we get a fucking panel. <laughs> we get an editor's note saying these events take place before Empire Strikes Back. Or surely there was another way to introduce that into the narrative without a blatant <laughs> editor's note slapped in the middle of the story, like a signpost. It's not even no. needed, frankly. It you know, it, it doesn't really matter when it takes place because it happens like it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Yep. <laughs> to be fair, the fact that they go through this. They find this like weird thing in space, the hell hoop. Um, Mind, the, can I just say, beware the hell hoop? Precisely this. It's just like a massive triangle floating in space. They get pop, pop through the middle of it, find themselves mm. in another dimension. It mm. doesn't feel a million miles away from the Mortis trilogy episodes of the Clone Wars in 2011. So the idea in itself is definitely yeah. solid. Again, it just falls down by. It's being created by job and writers and artists rather than someone working solely within the walls of Star Wars. And you know what? I'm all right with that for job and writers and artists who. who I mean, need I to guess work. you know. Again, you know, I don't mind Alan Moore at all, but at no point in the rest of Alan Moore's work do you read it and think, "Yeah, this guy'd be ideal for Star Wars." This is just him taking the job and trying to bend his natural style to it. Fair play, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair play. I would imagine he barely even remembers doing it. Fair play to him. And and so too has has the artist forgotten this work because I'll tell you now there's no way in the name of fucking Kashyyyk that that's Chewbacca but never mind right <laughs> beware the hell hoop so when we meet the five when they find themselves yes. aboard this ship yes I don't even know how to describe them um, well I do it's kind of like a, a a cast of characters that were rejected from Little Britain. If you found, like, a mad hillbilly family in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon and tried to render them in live action, but still in a mm. comic, wearing yeah. mental tunics, you've got, like, a middle-aged couple. They're so effectively like the mother and father of the group. I don't think that is the relationship between them all. Um, you've got the little wizardy one who looks like he's about sort of 12 with a mischievous little grin on his face. Mm. And then you've got... What is that, like a... Sort of like a brother and sister, kind of like in their twenties. They're meant to be sort of good looking. I don't, I don't know. This is none of this is fleshed out. It's fucking weird. It's just <laughs> they just come across yeah. this group. They're like, oh, we're the five, um, and I quote, five pensive and enlightened souls who have chosen to leave the whirling maelstrom of universal life, retiring to this our humble home beyond the dimensions where we may rest through the centuries and pursue our sacred calling. I don't need what it, they're trying to kill them or something none of this is clear 15 none pages 15, 15 pages pa none of it's clear at all it's, it's very confusing um i'll just give a, a hand to our listener um there's a character called lilu um uh who is one of the five um to give you a little bit of a hand with visualizing in case you haven't downloaded the pdf uh lilu is prince adam of eternia with 
chronic obesity and colic. <laughs> yes. That's that's Lilu. <laughs> but no, as you say, story wise, I've not a Danny LaRue here. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it feels far more fantasy than science fiction. Mm-hmm. Fine, I guess, if this was the platform for it. It's not. Um, At all. And, and yeah, the the five... Yeah, Lilu gets killed. Uh, where are we? Yeah, he gets his face eaten by an energy beam. That's that. Yeah. They change Chewbacca up to a wall and leave him there. There's this bit where it's like a, a sort of a captive sentient energy cluster, which is in yeah. like a, 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 a sort of a glass prism box... Chewbacca knocks that over. It fucks absolutely everything. That's the end of the story. I don't know. It's got a weird sort of hypnotic edge to it, whereby yeah, I lose. I literally lose time reading it, as you're hearing. Yeah, actually, do yeah. On the very last page, um, you know, our heroes are are they're free and they're back to normal space, and we get a picture of what uh, what I imagine is supposed to be the Millennium Falcon, but it looks like the lid from a Dairy Lee carton. How a... <laughs> how a... That's not the Millennium Falcon that I know and love. It's the one they stole in the last trip. <laughs> Did you notice on the very last panel the spelling error? Well, before we get to that, back on um, back on page 23, mm-hmm. before, before the energy cluster breaks loose, it says, mm. Meanwhile in the menagerie, the first mate of the Millennium Falcon smiles grimly. Wookiees do not make good pets. They do, however, make excellent mechanics. And Chewbacca's there with what looks like a pig on a leash. Yes, it is a pig on a leash. And in the next frame, he's sort of taken the leash off it, the metal leash. Yes. That's it. That's him being a mechanic. That's right. He's literally right. snapped the chain that was holding the pig to the wall. It doesn't say how Chewbacca got out of his chains. Um, no. He's literally snapped a chain. That's the, well, I say he snapped a chain. Again, there's a weird... It looks like... You know when Michael J. Fox in Teen Wolf? Yes. Yeah, that, 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 that's that, what it that, looks like. That, but in his 50s. Yes. <laughs> I have been struggling to, to vocalise, and it's that's not, it. At, the, at this point, there are pictures mm. of Chewbacca. There is reference material for Chewbacca. It's not like Lucasfilm was hiding him. Absolutely insane. So, yeah, there's absolute hell on. There's people getting vaporised. All over the shop. There's explosions. The energy cluster frees them. And then it says, um, Gratitude is foreign to me, and yet this day you have done me a great service, me and those who come after me. Your ship awaits in the hall. But it lets them go. It's it, Yeah. It's an energy cluster. It, it shouldn't even be talking to them. It could have just killed them all. Anyway, yeah, just pops them back into their own space, and that's it. No one is any the wiser that this happened other than the three of them on that ship. And with the parting words of, in the final panel, let's just be glad that we've done it in an M-pipe-held sector of space. What's the M-pipe? Is it the M-pipe? Is it the M-pipe strikes back? Is it? I know how that's happened. That's literally just the R is missing off, uh, the leg is missing off the R to make it into a P. Beware the M-pipe. But but the fact is, yes, this got through the publishing and proofreading process. This got through Paul Neary's editing. He went there, he got to the final panel, and even by then his brain was so fried, he went, the galactic (laughs) M-pipe. The M-pipe and the hell hoop. These are two things you've got to be wary of in 1983. (laughs) Oh... Oh, no, 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 no. Let's, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn the page and I'm going to look at the free poster that we get because yes. this will settle my nerves here. We can we can put this up on the wall. This is something that looks like Star Wars because it is a photo from Star Wars. Actually, to be fair, are we going to put it up in the studio? 
Yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah, let's put it up. Right, okay. Describe to our lovely listener what we're seeing here before us. Well, it's a poster. It's a, it's a, Isn't it? It's a double spread poster. Yep. of um, the droids R2-D2 and C-3PO what could be more Star Wars than that quintessential boom and they're um, they're stood in Echo Base on the planet Hoth for the summer special for the, well, for the summer for the, special for, yes. for the summer yes. special it's the droids from the last film in the snow mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there we go maybe it's a little bit too warm and they thought maybe people need a little bit of visual cooling you know if they look at this they'll cool themselves down maybe their ire needs cooling Having read the text in this comic, that's what well, that's that's what Paul Neary's thinking. Three PO, the way he stood, uh-huh. his body language would suggest that he's just be, that he's dying for the toilet, and someone's uh-huh. told him, "Well, they're closed," <laughs> or he's been told to beware the hell hoop. Either or, he looks <laughs> he looks startled. There. He, he has arrived at the toilet to see the janitor locking it and walking away. Right. <laughs> His, the look on his face, he's like, but I'm bursting. <laughs> yes, it is. And the, the, the janitor's just shouting over, go there. Hey. I don't, I, I've locked up, I don't care. I'll not be clearing it up. Ooh, 3PO, sweetheart. <laughs> he's, he's not happy. He's not happy. That's, that's going on the wall, that. What I do like from that particular pose of the two of them, because it's a classic photo of them anyway, mm. you know that Anthony Daniels is in the suit there, and that's fine, just because, just because of the posture. You know... The RTD do in that photo is empty. Yeah, Kenny, yeah, Kenny, ba- Kenny, Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker, he's off from the back. Fagging a pint. Yep. He's having a tab. Yeah, he's away. He is not asked. Now, all right, we've enjoyed the poster. Now on to the final story of the magazine. This is entitled, the one. it is, entitled Death Mask. <laughs> Yes, this is Death Mask. This is 14 pages this time. Uh, it's written by Steve Moore, who worked on Warrior in 2000 AD. Art is by John Stokes again, from Warrior and Lion. Again, Jenny O'Connor's done the letters. Paul Neary has done the editing, so we'll keep our fucking eyes out, won't we? This first appeared in Empire Strikes Back comic 149 in September of 1981. So, out on a routine X-Wing patrol and the Lapez system, Luke Skywalker runs into a squadron of TIE fighters as part of a larger ambush. Imperial Captain Dirk Balor forces the Jedi to crash on a nearby planet and sends operative Alton Wuho down to finish the job with his pet nightmare demon, Reist. To decent start to this, we're straight into the action here. We are, we are. Again, no you can tell it's about. Luke because of the helmet. Uh, yes, and the goggles. Yeah. Uh, saying that, that could be Linda Carter. Um, but... <laughs> Luke is indeed being pursued by an Imperial patrol. He's up against it. He always is. Dirk Balor is taking a little bit of a break from being married to Morticia Adams. Dirk Balor, and good Lord. He looks like Gomez. He, yes. looks, he looks yes. like Raul Julia. Yes. Um, uh, and he's, he's standing there with Alton Woohoo. Who looks like he's been played by Rhys Shearsmith. To be fair, uh, that's, that's quite complimentary. I would have said <laughs> it's... It's Professor Snape meets George Burns. I don't know what that hair's about. That the Bob. Who who in the outer reaches of the galaxy told him that a Bob was a good idea? Well, we'll get to it at the end, but it doesn't really mm. matter, does it? He's mm. in control of Reist, who's a small monkey-like creature. 
He needs to be enclosed in a force field with a lead-lined hood to stop him transmitting his deadly telepathic horrors to all and sundry. I mean, spoilers o'clock here. Spoilers o'clock. You know, Dirk Gomez is like, go down there, take the nightmare demon. They've co- they've literally called the animal a nightmare demon. There's no yeah, messing yeah. around there. Yeah. Like, go down there, kill Luke Skywalker. I don't know if this point if the Empire would rather have him alive. It doesn't matter. Dirk says no. Yeah. So once Luke regains consciousness on the planet... And it's basically just like him and Reist. There's absolute hell on. There really is. And do you know what? It's all right, this. Uh-huh. This is the one that freaked me the fuck out. I think yeah, I've covered abs- it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Initially, when you're reading it, you're thinking, well, hang on. Um, first of all, Reist cunningly docks with the X-Wing. And you think, well, how come neither the R2 droid, because normally an X-Wing's fitted with an R2 droid. Yeah. Nor the Force has picked this up, but then Luke is under attack. He's got Laron. Okay. Um, yeah. So he's forced to crash land on um, Lopez 3, which, incidentally, can I point out, got a high recommendation as value for money uh, as a holiday by Judith Chalmers on Wish You Were Here. Fair. Um, the X Wing was frigged. The planet is full of the skulls. It or is. So, or so we think. And yeah, I mean, already before that point, we've seen what Rice looks like. When he has his hat taken off. And it's mortifying. It is, yes. <laughs> that is a terrifying image. That is a haunting, terrifying image that will stay with you. What really weirded me out was not necessarily the fact that he looks like an evil little monkey. He does. It's more that I was just like picking up that the monkey doesn't necessarily know it's evil. It's just got this power that even it hasn't really got any control out of. It just it just does that. I mean, the that one panel with all of the skulls and the monkey is not helping. But... <laughs> No, no, it, it it isn't. But it's 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 kind of like the Mekon, I guess, from the yeah. the Dandes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the eyes, it's oh dear. I'm looking at it now, and it's it's <laughs> it's chilling. Is the word chilling? Yeah. Luke's wandering around. The skeletons coming out of the ground. There's skeletons that are trees. There's mountains made out of skulls, huge skulls, massive ones. They're everywhere. While this is going on, back on the Star Destroyer, oh, Woohoo is getting very cocky about what's going on on the planet. He's very, he's very self-sure standing there in his black tracksuit. He is, yes, he's full. For, isn't he? He's even, full of his he, own importance. He's even got stripes down the side. I think he's wearing Adidas, that's fine. I think yeah. it is Adidas, yeah. Or, or sport. <laughs> I, I think he, I think he's bought that at the market. I was going to say, his mum got it off the market, did she? Yes, yes, she did, yes. This yes. is the one, isn't it, with the stripe on <laughs> and the word sport on the left This on the is the one you were breast. after. This yes. is the trendy. Uh-huh. This is the yeah. one that Brian ran the corners got. Sport. Yeah, that, that's it. That's it. <laughs> look, the, look, the O's of football as well. All right, then that, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Incredible. Um, yeah, and Dirk, he's like, just do your work, woo, and bring Skywalker back with you when you finish. He's not asked. He's absolutely not asked. He's like, can you do your fucking job, please? Yeah. Um, Luke's walking around. He sees Han and Chewie standing on top of a, a massive skull that has also got snow on it. Yeah. He's got a bit of a um bit of a Christmas carol moment where he meets, sees like a, a massive sort of gravestone. Goes, Oh, I wonder what name could be on there and starts like brushing it away. I can't imagine a situation where I would ever see a gravestone and wonder whose name is on it. It's practically it's it's next to a massive fucking open hole. I think we know who it's gonna be, Luke. Don't don't do that. But you know. He does that. Han and Chewie wave from up on their big skull. They die. They get shot by someone. We don't see who's actually shot them. 
Han Solo falls over into the snow. Uh-huh. Top of page 35, right? Han Solo falls face first over into the snow. And little skulls pop out like his teeth yes. are coming out. Yes, yes. That was that yes. was terrifying to me when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is literally like someone has dropped a bucket of teeth. It, it is. <laughs> yes. It is. Yes. Um, Luke sees the Millennium Falcon. It's fucked. Sees Princess Leia. She falls off a cliff. Yep. Turns into a skeleton, then turns into dust. Darth Vader comes out. Of course he does. Takes his mask off. He's a skeleton. <laughs> the artist oh. that they've employed here. J- John Stokes. Will you do this? Well, I will, but I'm used to normally just... I normally just do Ghost Rider. Oh, right, OK. Well, can you do Darth Vader? Well, I can if he's a skeleton. Right, we'll work it. We'll work it. It was something along the lines of John Stokes is in... He's in Marvel's office in London, Tottenham Court Road. And he's gone... So, guys, you know me. Artist John Stokes. You like Star Wars, yeah? And Marvel gone, yeah, yeah. And he's gone, and you like skulls, yeah? And they've gone, what? He's gone, skulls, 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 skulls. <laughs> yeah. Just start, just starts drawing them on the walls in a marker. Yes. Yes. In fact, while he's telling them this, he peels his flesh off and reveals <laughs> his own skull in the office. Then starts drawing this, them in his own blood. The man is obsessed. This, this is what's going in the comic. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take yeah. a photo of this and put the word <laughs> Star Wars on the top. That is the yes. comic. <laughs> wow. Ben turns up. Doesn't he? Ben, ben Kenobi, the ghost of Ben Kenobi. The shimmering vision of a familiar figure appears to his mind. And Luke, Luke shouts, Ben Kenobi! You're right to submit to the Force, Luke, but it will be of no help against your enemies. You must use it against yourself. Then in the same speech bubble, Luke thinks, against myself? No, Ben, come back. This is all done in one thought bubble. This is insane. Is. Ben just fucks off. Doesn't he? Just turns his back in a way. I've been here too long already. I'm sick of the sight of skulls. I'm not asked. <laughs> Mint. I've got better things to do than fucking about with this shit. <laughs> hey! Anyway. Go He's off seeing skeletons again. Crackers. <laughs> Crackers. <laughs> Oh, it we Luke. If it's not one thing, it's a fucking level. <laughs> Bless him. Yeah. Always, always on fucking duty, that old boy. <laughs> always, always, never lets you down. And yeah, we come. It, it, it everything dissipates into this crescendo. I love this. This is this next panel that I'm talking about, where it's like three images in one on the left hand yeah. side. You've got Princess Leia as a massive skull, Darth Vader as a skeleton, Stormtroopers as skeletons, and they're stood on skulls. Over on the right, you've got Reist. He's got his helmet off, and he's basically sitting on Luke's chest. This has all been a hallucination. In the middle, it looks like Johnny Nice Painter out with a fast show has just gone black, yes. black, 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 black. black. Yeah, you're right. You're John right. Stokes has gone mad with the fucking crayons in the middle of that panel for no reason. So, um, yeah, Luke wakes up. He's like, oh, I see what's going on now. It's the monkey. So what does he do? Well, not a lot. He's paralysed. <laughs> he kills the monkey. <laughs> there we go. But you know what? That image, that image of that monkey sat on his chest is horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really explain why his body is furry, but his head isn't. His head is like a skull. And you're like, an alien. How, how, come, an alien. how come all the stuff isn't just falling out of his eyes then? But anyway, okay. 
Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, speaking of eyes, when I first did see that, look at that, look at that face when I'm sitting on Luke's chest. My eyes actually shut themselves. <laughs> There's a lovely bit. First panel on page 39, top left-hand corner, where you see the um, the actual Stormtrooper ship is landing now in the background. This is um, this is Woohoo coming down, sort of sorted out with a few Stormtroopers in there. You can just see at the bottom there, Little rice sitting on Luke's chest, just staring off of camera. He looks uh-huh. quite pleasant there. He's. It looks like he's smiling, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, a smile there. You know, lovely little monkey's good. We're having the best fucking time here. We're playing yeah, yeah. pretend. This is this is the only friend I've had who hasn't died. I am really fucking enjoying myself. So Luke's like, well, what I'm going to do, sitting here paralysed, is somehow point my lightsaber in the right direction, then use the force to flick it on. Boom, mm-hmm. monkey's dead. Yep. Slaughtered. Fucking hell. It's brutal out there with the force and that. At which point, Woohoo comes over. I mean, this this feels like it should have been the end of the story, but it's not Woohoo comes over. He's like, the fuck's going on? And Luke decides, well, I'm going to try and get onto that ship because that's my only escape. It's a bag of shit, but I've got to get off the planet. So off he goes. He, he, he sneaks behind the rocks and he scuttles across. And rather than just going onto the ship, throws a lightsaber through Woohoo. Well done, yes. mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then we get another twist in the tale because questions have been asked, you see. Now, the monkey has had to wear a helmet because the minute he takes the helmet off, everybody in the immediate vicinity is infected with the nightmares. Yes. However, questions were asked. Woohoo's not asked. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. And people go, well, how does it not affect him? Well, I'll tell you how. He's a droid. That's the right. He's a droid. Human replica droid. Yep, yep. There, there we is. go. I mean, he's still an arsehole, but, you know. Yeah. Prick. So, yeah, Luke's off. Um, actually, he, he doesn't even take... It looks like Luke just takes his X-Wing off again. He doesn't even take the uh, the Imperial Transport of what. And he's he's done, like, a little grave for Reist. There's actually yeah. a gravestone sticking out of the soil with the word Reist carved in it. He's made it... I told you they were fucking mates, mate. That's, oh, you know. I know, yeah. There's a little tinge of tragedy there. There is, there is. Because like Reist, for all of for all that he is, what he is, you know, it's not his fault. It's just these. This is that type of creature he is, and he's. I just... want to see stories before this featuring Reist, or just other nightmare demons. I don't mind, but you know, particularly Reist. I think there's there's a there's an untapped scene there. Disney will pick it up. They'll pick it up. I hope so. I really do. We'll get we'll get it. We'll get three movies and seventeen series out of this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy will love Reist. She really will. Anyway. So to be fair. Yeah, we're at the end of it now. By the way, that's the end. Um, yes. When you read other stories in this era, mm. even in the American Marvel series, like Cody Sunchild and The Crimson Forever, they were all fucking weird around this time. Marvel had had two movies to get into the swing of Star Wars, and they're still knocking out fucking cheese dreams. <laughs> right, right. Also worth noting, particularly mm. in the first one where we've got like Han picking up the Falcon, the concept of a canon storyline. Even in 1983, we're still sort of in its infancy. At that point, there'd been one novel come out, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. A lot of comics, but they were all like this. They are all crackers. Yeah. A month after this came out, as in this special, the first of the Lando Calrissian novels was published, where he wins the Falcon in a card game, and later, Han wins it from him. Right. This had always been the case of Han wins the Falcon from Lando, not 
and fucking steals it from a factory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Solo acquiring the Falcons a bit like the Death Star plans. It's a story that gets rebooted like once every fortnight. Right. We end the comic with an advert for other Marvel titles. We do. Uh, one of which I do remember. There's the Doctor Who Summer Special on there, which I do remember that. I remember that cover distinctly. Right. I didn't have it. I'll draw your attention to the fact that the other five uh, Mighty Marvel Summer Explosion titles here all mm-hmm. have artwork on the covers, not just a photo. Like someone has drawn the other five covers. Star Wars, they're going, there's a photo there on the, in the draw. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair. Mind. Uh, and finally, um, yes, it's back to Doctor Who. Um, everyone loves it. It's a T-shirt, the comic version of Peter Davison, if you Indeed want a T-shirt is. with that on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll not bother cutting that coupon out. So there we are. There we are, the Star Wars Summer Special 1983. Indeed. The question remains, Blackout. How many pegs are you going to clip onto the artist Cecil? who was responsible for some of the drones. Oh, well, vintage Marvel's take on Star Wars is an interesting curiosity. And my brain now struggles to properly equate these strips with the cinematic version every bit as much as it did then. This is like a comic created by someone who's heard of Star Wars but has never seen it. Seven out of nine, though. Yeah, that's all right. Lay it on me. Six. Okay. Okay, yeah, fair. The, the, la- the last story saved it. Right. Uh, but for a seasonal read for fans of the franchise and the comic, uh, it's okay. The The thing that kind of irritates me is that it is a collection of stories from previous issues. We right. want new mind. We want new. It's May, you know, 19, it's May 1983. We're not even buying this. We're waiting for Return of the Jedi to come out, you know. Well, fair enough, but um, yeah. But the question, Blackout, mm-hmm. on every tracksuit vendor's lips... Before they sell a black sports version to Woohoo is, how many steps will it take you to yodel up the mountain before you're exposed to nightmarish skulls? I could do it too. The front cover of this comic features a full-colour photographic illustration of Mr. Mark Hamill, who appeared in 1989's Slipstream next to... Rico Ross, who was of course the ringmaster for the greatest show in the galaxy with... Peggy Mount. A word with you, if you don't mind. Very good. Very good indeed. Thank you so much. Yes. How about yourself? Two. The back cover of this comic features another Doctor Who advertisement for a light, casual garment, featuring a stylish illustration of Mr. Peter Davison. The fucking t-shirt's only four quid! Four quid? What's so special about the book? Of Mr. Peter Davison, (laughs) who took up a very peculiar practice in 1986, along with... Graham Crowden, who swung with the one-way pendulum with... Aggie Ball! This will suit me nicely, thank you. Ooh. I know, right? Marvellous, marvellous. Right, and that's that. I'm just off to open the drawer across the room that has a faded image of Bib Fortuna on it in the New Hope 
that I'll find some swaps for my 1983 Panini Return of the Jedi sticker album. In the meantime, Blackout's got your socials. Yes, thank you once again for choosing this issue. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyManPod at gmail.com or wear PeggyManPod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you listen to us. Don't forget to go to PeggyManPod.com to check out the show notes for this and for all of our other episodes. <coughs> T-shirts. Are you all right? Yeah, we sell T-shirts as well. Click on, click on the shopping basket on, the, on, our, on PeggyManPod.com. Have a look at our T-shirts. Hashtag the T-shirts. It's as simple as that. It really, really is. They're not four quid. They're not. <laughs> Most a pity. <laughs> right, we'll be back next week with more retro reading material to roll across your gaps. Until then, keep, keep mountain. Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from Michael Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Mount Calamity Hour.